All right, according to, and now I gotta hold the clicker and the microphone. All right, um, we'll see how I wanna do this. So according to a Harvard longitudinal study, the single greatest predictor for life satisfaction is quality relationships. So as you think about ministering to young adults in the church, paying attention to and helping them forge healthy relationships is going to bring them to a place of greater life satisfaction. And of course, one of those relationships is relationship with God. And throughout all of the Relationship IQ curriculum, relationship with God is highlighted. We do have one module that's specifically on relationship with God, but each of the modules integrate theology, relationship with God, and psychology. I learned recently that the CDC has recognized that loneliness is actually higher in populations of young people than the elderly. This is a new statistic. So all the more highlighting the need for young adults to learn how to do relationships well to combat loneliness. So today we're gonna talk about helping young adults connect with family as adult children. Oops, let's see, there we go. Okay, hmm, let's see, this isn't on there all the way. I wonder if I can, well, I think we're missing a little bit of the left slide. I apologize about that. So what we're talking about actually in young adult vernacular is adulting. Some of you all may be familiar with the word adulting. It's taking the noun adult and translating it into a verb and action of the process of acting like an adult. So you'll hear many young people today talk about adulting in their life. Um, I first heard this term when I was a counselor working with a senior in high school and she very casually in conversation said, oh yeah, I was adulting this weekend and I had to pause her and stop and say, what, wait, what are you, what are you talking about? And she said, oh yeah, I was doing adult activities like getting an oil change in my car and doing laundry and I thought that was hilarious. The term was first introduced by Kelly Williams Brown book in 2013, um, Adulting How to Become a Grown-Up in 468 Easy-ish Steps. The American Dialect Society nominated the term adulting as one of the most creative words of 2015. So this concept of young adults taking responsibility is often termed as adulting in their own terminology. Now, on the clinical side of things, we talk about adulting with different language, really talking about the same concept ultimately, separation, individuation, and differentiation. So this is the clinical terminology of what it is for a young person to become oneself, to take ownership for oneself, and greater responsibility. Separation, individuation, and differentiation. These terms actually have an interpersonal between a two different people component and an intrapersonal within oneself component. The intrapersonal component of differentiation refers to the ability to integrate thoughts and feelings well so that a person isn't just ruled by their thoughts or just ruled by their feelings, that they're integrating their thoughts and feelings well. And also individuals who are differentiated are better able to know who they are and accept who they are. This knowledge of themselves and the ability to accept themselves positions them to be less reactive in relationship with others. So the intra interpersonal component of differentiation 
occurs when individuals are less reactive in relationship, they're less defensive, they're less attacking, instead they're able to take on personal responsibility and they're interconnected to people in their life. So they're not codependent, overly reactive to other people in their life, but they're interdependent, they're relating well in a connected sense with others. And this will become more clear throughout our conversation. So the tasks of young adulthood include intimacy and identity. You may have heard of these tasks um, as though a person goes through one stage of developing identity before they move on to create intimacy in the relationship, seeing these stages as separate. A person crosses through one stage before the next. I think it's actually more helpful to think about these stages being intertwined or interconnected, that young adults are going through the process of forming their identity and forming intimate relationships simultaneously. And when I talk about intimacy, I don't just mean romantic rem relationships, I also mean friendships, platonic relationships as well. So as the tasks of identity and intimacy are navigated, in today's world, these processes tend to be interrupted or slowed down, that it's taking young adults longer to go through the process of forming their identity or to go through the process of forming intimate relationships. Any guesses as to why this is the case? Why it's taking young adults longer to navigate through these stages? Social media, yes. So social media offers lots of inputs into the process of identity and intimacy. There's lots of feedback from social media. Likes on Facebook pictures, likes on Instagram pictures, Snapchat responses. And on social media, young adults are perceiving that this input is giving them feedback around their identity and their intimacy. So when their pictures are liked, that seems to say something about who they are, and that also indicates that people are interested in relationship. So lots of inputs from social media are interrupting the process of identity and intimacy development. It's slowing the process down. It's more complicated. Young adults are looking for image, here are all these I words, Young adults are looking to their image to mediate their sense of identity and intimacy. When there's lots of inputs from social media, this helps them draw conclusions about their image, believing that their image says something about who they are, their identity, or their image will help to mediate relationships. If I have a positive image, then people will be drawn to me, either in romantic relationships, or friendships. So young adults are going through intimacy and identity development that is interrupted by lots of inputs and they're also over-focused on their image in society. As young adults are going through these tasks, their lives are shifting from being oriented around their families to their peer groups. So as young adults um, begin, young adults as they, as they enter into high school, they enter into high school where their life 
is often revolving around their family. They're looking to their family for acceptance, approval, advice, and literally their lives are lived around their family. As young adults get older and move further into high school, their lives tend to revolve around their peers, looking to their peers for a sense of approval and acceptance instead of their families. So this is giving you some background to understand what's going on in young adult development. A shift of their life from focusing around the family to focusing their life around their peers. Again, looking to their peers for acceptance and approval. As we talk about the process of young adults becoming adults, I want to paint a picture for you of what it would be like for a young adult's life to orient more around Christ. Not that family relationships are important or peer relationships, but what would it be for a young adult to be most focused on Christ for approval and acceptance, even before family and friends? Again, family and friends are really important, but shifting from acceptance and approval from family to friends to Christ, ultimately, to own oneself. And I want to do a demonstration for you to further offer you a visual example of what we're going for here in this process of a young adult to take responsibility and ownership in their family relations. So I mentioned again um, that we're looking for adults to be in a state of separation, individuation, and differentiation. And this is characterized by strong interpersonal connectedness where students are not overly reliant on family and friends for their sense of approval and acceptance. Um, so the terminology here would be codependency. We want to move parents and children out of a state of codependency. Codependency is characterized by the young adult looking to their parent for an excessive amount of guidance and direction, looking to their parents to tell them where they should go to college, what they should major in, what their career should be, how to handle all of their relationship difficulties. So the state of codependence is not healthy for the child to be overly dependent on their parent, but the state of codependency also comes from the parent. Sometimes the parents are actually initiating the codependent relationship, and this looks like the parent being overly reactive to the young adult's success or life. So if the young adult does poorly on a test, maybe the parent gets overly upset and feels like the young adult performing poorly on a test is a reflection on them. Um, or if a young adult goes through a breakup in a relationship, the parent feels as though that's happening to themselves and is rattled just as much as the young adult. So this is a state of codependency, and it's not healthy for the child to have the parent overly reactive on them. Um, another example of codependency comes out in a subtle way and maybe some of you in this room would be guilty of this, it's very common, where a parent will say, we have homework tonight, when they're talking about their child's homework assignment, actually. Let's say they have a science fair project, and the parent experiences that as though they have homework, and that betrays the codependency present in the relationship, or it can betray that codependency. So, um, again, I'm gonna offer you a visual demonstration of what we're looking for for children to take responsibility and their family relationship. So I'm gonna need a volunteer to help. This is gonna be a non-speaking role. Who would like to volunteer? Great, if you will come forward. 
And what's your name? Anita. Anita. I'm Kelly. Good to meet Hi you. Kelly. All right. Um, to do this demonstration, I'm going to have to set down the microphone as this is going to involve both of my hands. So I'm going to let's try to stay as close to this as we can for the possibility of this recording. Okay, so now we're going to transition into the framework to help young adults function as adults and their family of origin. And there are five components here that we're going to talk about. The first three components, memories, birth order, and parents' perspective, function as the foundation through which young adults are going to grow in their awareness, their personal awareness, and their awareness of their parents, this um, increased awareness will position them to take responsibility in the relationships uh, in their family. The, so the last two segments, communicating with parents and families are ch of choice, is where the action happens. So again, memories, birth order, parents' perspective, this is the foundational increasing personal awareness and awareness of one's parents before the action steps of taking responsibility. 
Um, so as you work with young adults, again, consider this a framework to help your young adults take greater responsibility in their family relationships. So our first segment, memories. Why are memories important in helping young adults to function as adults in their family of origin? Memories are important because memories often function as the mediator between the past and the present and future. What we remember about our past greatly impacts how we feel about ourselves and the actions we take in the future. Sometimes negative memories are stored with greater negative emotions or discomfort, and so those memories can come up with painful emotions and shape our interactions with people in our family. So memories are foundational to shaping our present and future interactions. Oops. Another way of saying this is memories can be determinative. Memories shape how we view ourselves and how we relate with other people. So I want to share with you a story from my life around this. When I was very young, about four years old, my family moved. And in that move, my trike, my strawberry shortcake trike, got broken in the move. And this was really disappointing. I loved that strawberry shortcake trike. It was precious. Um, so fast forward to life to about two years ago. And I had just gotten engaged. I was going to be moving out to California. And it was time to figure out how we were going to transfer my belongings from St. Louis to California. Uh, my, we dated long distance. My husband was already out here. So it was just moving my belongings out to California. So dear Adam created a spreadsheet, as he loves to do, of all of the possibilities of how we could move my belongings from renting a U-box to adding my belongings um, on a large family moving truck. There's options where you can do that for smaller amounts of um, things that you're moving. So he had all these different options and he had you know, the price breakdowns and all of this. And he said, hey, you know, I think what we should do is um, we should have your belongings put on the end of a moving truck and in this option they actually move the physical belongings for us like they load it onto the truck we don't have to do it and it's actually the cheapest option and i said oh you know thank you so much for all this work you've done for hours um, investigating these different options of moving and i would really just prefer if we could use the u-box option where we will load the belongings uh, into this box that will be moved because I was remembering my strawberry shortcake trike that had been damaged in the move when other people move your belongings. And so I was having my actions impacted by this memory of saying, I want to go the more laborious and financially intensive route of moving my belongings into the U-Box myself because of this experience I had in the past. Um, another example of how memories can impact our, um, our choices and ultimately our relationships. Growing up, a part of my story is that I did not go on any dates in all of middle school, all of high school, or all of college. And that painful experience shaped how I viewed myself I felt like there was something wrong with me. What accounts for the fact that I haven't dated at all is very painful. And this experience also shaped my relationship with my parents. My parents um, had not 
asked me about that difficulty. We did not have conversation or relationship over the fact that I had not gone on any dates in high school or college. And when I say no dates, I mean not even asked to the homecoming or prom, um, like no dates, zero at all. And so the fact that my parents hadn't had relationship with me in this painful area left me with a sense of distance from them and even resentment towards them. And this would seep out in my behaviors of just being pulled back, less communicative, less sharing with them. Um, so that was a painful memory, ultimately, that I needed to deal with as it was shaping my relationship with my parents. And we'll come back to that in a bit. In Relationship IQ, we like to highlight for young adults the science behind the topics that we cover and demonstrate how they're consistent with what God has to say in the Bible. So the science of memories. Memories are stored in the brain as, as groupings of neuronal patterns. The memories are stored in your brain through your neurons. It's really fascinating to think how our mind stores memories. And God is also very clear about the power of memories when he says that we are renewed by our minds, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that God knows that the mind is powerful and that the mind can change. We know that the brain is plastic. This means the brain is moldable. It can change. We can process memories and we can grow through them and the negative emotions that they can be stored with. This section offers a bit of psychoeducation on memories. And again, young adults tend to find the science very interesting and captivating as they're drawn into these discussions. Implicit memories, implicit memories are memories that occur um, often before age two when you don't have conscious recall of the events of your life. So for example, if your parents were really responsive to you and when you were crying, you might internalize through your implicit memory that the world is a safe place and other people are safe and dependable. Whereas if your parents were not responsive to your crying, you may internalize that other people in the world aren't a very safe place. So implicit memories, even as we don't have conscious recall of them, often shape and form our perceptions of life. And it's helpful for young adults to be aware that they have implicit memories that are shaping them. There's also explicit memories. These are the memories that you typically think of that you can actively recall. You can pull them up in your brain and you can think about them. And they're coded into your mind as you focus and you think about what is happening and you're aware of it. Explicit memories are divided into two categories, semantic or autobiographical memories. Semantic memories are memories of facts, things that you memorize in school, such as the state capitals, it's just cut and dry factual information memorizing all the bones of the body, for instance, whereas autobiographical memories are memories in which you were present in that moment of time, and when you think of that memory, lots of other memories tend to be stirred at the same time. So think about right now your high school experience, maybe hallways that you walked in high school, where your locker was, and as, you, as I give you just those minimal prompts, other parts of your life but beyond the hallway in high school or your locker are often, com are often coming to mind right now. So autobiographical memories um, are connected to lots of other memories and help form a complete picture of a time. Whoops. Okay. 
So young adults can be helped as they remember these memories to process them. And when I say to process a memory, what I mean is to reframe what that memory meant to you. Sometimes a different perspective can be helpful in working through a memory. To be able to offer empathy to people in the memory in which there was heartache or pain. To be able to grieve painful memories or even often for offer forgiveness um, to those who have hurt you. So returning to my examples um, with a reframe, what would it be for me to process the memory of the fact that I didn't go on dates in high school and college and I held that and internalized that as something, saying something negative about myself. So what would it be for me to reframe that memory? It would be to say, okay, let me think about more of the context of that example. In my high school, there were many more girls than there were guys. So maybe the absence of dating said less about something negative about me versus a, re uh, a repercussion of fewer guys in my class growing up. In college, the campus ministry that I was a part of had many more girls than it did guys. Maybe this, again, accounted for the lack of dating. So it offers a much more favorable and pleasant narrative to make sense of that memory. Um, when it comes to the memory with my parents and their lack of engagement and involvement with me in this painful place, um, it's been helpful to me to have empathy for them to process through this memory. So even as I'm trained as a counselor and I'm really aware of emotional difficulties and what it is to connect with people in painful places, it's helpful for me to recognize that that's not the training and background and interest or expertise of my parents. They weren't given that type of emotional engagement from their parents at all. They have not received emotional engagement in that way in painful places. And that's definitely a part of how and why they have not offered that to me. And so as I can offer empathy to my parents, it helps to reframe that painful memory about their absence of engaging me in life in this area. Back to the big wheel example, it's important for me to recognize that all, not all moves go poorly. And some people can absolutely be trusted with your belongings. Um, so I'm hopeful that whenever we move next, who knows when that might be, I'll be in a better position to say, yes, let's have somebody else help move our belongings and not feel like we need to move everything for ourselves. Um, so I want to give you a moment here to think about a couple key memories from your young adulthood that you think shaped your perspective of yourself and your perspective of other people. And I invite you to do this because in Relationship IQ, we recognize that it's really important for the leader to bring themselves into the conversation with young adults. So the more you are aware of how memories have functioned in your life to shape your perspective of yourself and impacted your relationships, the better positioned you are to help young adults process their memories. So I'm gonna give you just a moment here to think about key memories from your young adulthood that have shaped you. So as you're able to find peace with memories and you're able to help young adults find peace with memories, you're going to be better positioned to have healthier, more peaceful relationships to not have the past 
um, negatively impacting your present and future choices. It's important to highlight um, for those who have experiences of abuse or trauma that these memories ought to be cared for by a therapist or a professional who's really able to give um, concerted time and energy to help an individual process these painful memories. So this is uh, more than the relationship IQ material is meant to assist with. Young adults can be helped to be reminded that healing is possible. Because young adults are young, naturally they may not have experienced great change in their life or seen that happen in others' lives. So to remind them that it is possible to work through painful memories, it is possible to forgive, it is possible to show empathy and have a changed perspective of oneself and other people that they're in relationship with. Healing is attainable. Birth order is our next component to raise awareness for the young adult to position them to take greater responsibility in their family relationships. Birth order um, can refer to one's actual birth order in your family, biologically where you're positioned, chronologically that you're the oldest, the youngest, the middle child. And sometimes birth order functions more based on how it's perceived in relationships. So for example, um, I am a middle child through actual birth order, but my perception of birth order growing up was as a youngest child because my younger brother is 13 years younger than I am. So I live the first 13 years of life as the youngest child, even though technically I'm a middle child. So it's helpful to identify one's perception of one's birth order ju versus just relying on the actual chronological birth order that someone has. Birth order um, can be associated with stereotypes around someone's personality or behaviors or success. And it's important to recognize these dynamics, for young adults to recognize these dynamics and be able to say, do I want to be living in this pattern or out of this stereotype, or am I just living in this pattern or stereotype because of my birth order? So for example, let's, let's talk about the different stereotypes associated with the various birth orders. Oldest children tend to be seen as very responsible and traditional and dependable. So these individuals might feel excessive pressure to perform and be successful. And as they're able to recognize this dynamic, they have greater choice around this. Do I want to be feeling this great pressure? Do I resent the fact that I feel like I have to be successful? Do I resent that towards my parents? Do I feel like my parents put undue emphasis on me being successful because I'm the oldest child? For middle children, they can be known as very sociable and independent, but also rebellious. So for a middle child to recognize, hey, you know what? I actually am fairly rebellious in my family. Is this who I really want to be? Or have I fallen into the stereotype of the middle child based on dynamics associated with middle children in the family? There's reasons why middle children tend to be the least responsible ones or more independent. And this can be excessive independence, feeling separate or disconnected from the family. Whereas youngest children can be known as being manipulative, spoiled, feel like they have to be the savior in the family, 
Um, only children can function sometimes as oldest children, feeling like they have to please their parents or be successful. An interesting note on only children, many people feel like only children are over-parented. Only children can al also be under-parented. It can be really hard for parents of one child to strike a good balance of, of appropriate level of involvement versus too much parenting, helicopter parenting, or being under-involved, under-engaged. So again, as young adults are able to recognize their family dynamics associated with birth order, this positions them to have greater choice to say, is this who I want to be, or am I just reacting to this position in my family? Whoops. Birth order is also powerful in a biblical story of Jacob and Esau. Esau is the oldest twin of the two, born to Rebekah and Isaac, and based on the tradition at the time, the oldest child received the birthright and the blessing. And that created great tension between the oldest and the youngest child, even as they were both twins. And so as you may be familiar with the story, um, Esau ended up selling his birthright to Jacob for a cup of soup. And Rebecca and Jacob together manipulated Esau into giving over his blessing from Isaac. So birth order is present in the family and driving some of the tensions and anxieties in a family in the, in the Bible. Um, I want you to consider for yourself how birth order has impacted your own development and who you are. And before I give you a moment to do that, I'll share from my own story and experience. Um, I mentioned I'm a middle child. I have an, a middle child. I have an older sister and a younger brother. I feel as though as a middle child for myself positioned me to be very observant. So I watched my older sister by two years live her life and I made choices accordingly. So when my sister got in trouble with my parents, I sat back and said, I'm not going to do that. When my sister came home from college and didn't help with the dishes after dinner, and I heard my parents gripe about the fact that she wasn't helping with the dishes, I said, when I come home from college, I'm going to make it a point to do the dishes. That I learned from her and really adopted a, an observer perspective. And also having a younger brother, um, we ended up having a very close, connected relationship in which I you know, am very much a big sister to him and offer mentorship to him. And I think the connection with my younger brother has positioned me to connect well with young adults in my life. And again, that's a result of birth order. So I invite you to take a moment now and consider how birth order has impacted you and your family of origin. Moving on to the parent's perspective, our final piece of the foundation for helping young adults take responsibility in their families. It's important for parent, I'm sorry, for children, young adults, to consider their parents' perspective. What is it to be a parent? Parents are often coming from the perspective of trying to do what's best for their children. Most parents are genuinely doing what's best for them. And it can be really helpful for young adults to chat with other young adults about this concept, to consider that their parents are really probably trying to do what's best for them, even if it doesn't feel like that. And that is one way in which parents reflect God's image, that we know that God always cares for us in the way that's best for us, even if it doesn't feel like that. Some young adults can connect with that truth easier than the truth that their parents are doing the best for them, even if it doesn't feel like that. 
sometimes young adults can better trust God caring for them well, even when it doesn't feel like that. Um, but that's how parents can be imaging God and, and offering what they feel like is best to their children, even if it doesn't seem that way. Believe it or not, parents have their struggles too. So taking time to help young adults name the struggles and stresses and anxieties of their parents to appreciate other things going on in their lives as they're making decisions with their young adult children. So parents have difficulties at work and with finances and friendships. They may be caring for their aging parents or other struggles going on. Again, for young adults to have conversation around what is difficult in their parents' lives to grow their empathy for their parents. Anxiety in the air. In our world today, there is a lot of anxiety in the air for a number of reasons. We know that there's more shootings today, there's more sexual assault on campuses, there are more car accidents, and when parents approach their young adults out of worry or control, if those young adults can appreciate the world that the parents are living in and the fears and concerns that they have for their young adults, this will help the young adults to make more sense of their parents. So one way to talk about this is to consider when your parents turn on the news, what are the stories that they are hearing about life that happens on college campuses or about life for high schoolers? And again, to help the young adults appreciate the anxieties um, or the events that drive the parents' anxieties. Okay. Um, so parents, as young adults become older, as children become young adults and ultimately full adults, parents are in a process of giving up responsibility incrementally, one process by one process. So I want us to do an activity here. And again, I'll need a couple volunteers. Um, some speaking roles involved here. So, um, and I need some help also with the writing part here. So I'm going to pass out these things just as Chris here can give you a couple slips of paper. You all have a pen. Okay, I want you to write down some different responsibilities that begin with parents being responsible for the child and ultimately are given over to the child as they get older. So a very simple example, brushing your Parents brush children's teeth and eventually children take on that task for themselves. So I want you to think of a number of tasks that ultimately are given over to children. Okay, I'm gonna need right. Yeah, that's a couple minutes. And I need two other volunteers to come to the front. All right, how about you there? Can you start here? I don't know who will
helpful for young adults to realize that their parents will often perceive their child as very much a reflection on themselves. So to help young adults think about taking, um, being discreet around ways that they differ from the, their parents. And I don't mean not having difficult conversations about different values and beliefs, but for example, let's say a young adult they can draw a blank and say, I don't know, what are our communication patterns? But if you give them these categories of conflict and closeness, this can help them come up with examples. So with conflict, you can say, who tends to bring up conflict? Who tends to ally with who? Who tends to withdraw from conflict? How do conflicts end? Do people get really physically upset? Do they minimize the issue? You get the idea. To help them name what we're dynamic. patterns. Um, oops. Okay. So creating new patterns. First and foremost, talking clearly and respectfully and also listening well. Listening can sound so simple and so basic, but it helps to slow down a conversation, de-escalate emotion, and really offers respect. For the sake of time, we're going to move a little more quickly here. Um, how to communicate well with pa parents. Here are other tips. Um, meet your parents regularly, reach out to them regularly, 
express your gratitude, uh, encouraging young adults to bring friends home. Parents often love to get to know their friends. This is a great way of having a window into their young adults' lives. Um, seek their counsel, but assume personal responsibility. Young adults, again, to take responsibility for their choices. They may receive input from other people, but to own um, how that input goes and not to blame a parent if their input does not go well. Basic acts of courtesy, um, letting past conflicts die, and that's easier to do when memories have been worked through well. We've said this, don't flaunt your choices outside their value system and finding times to be with them. So these are a number of just helpful tips that young adults can use to communicate better with their parents. Whoops. Um, I call this um, the special ninja skills. If you are treated as a child, you should respond as an adult. Um, sometimes parents forget that their young adults are young adults and they treat them like children and being extra controlling or extra restrictions. And it's very easy for these young adults to respond as though they're a child and get angry or be disrespectful and carry on. But if a child, I'm sorry, a young adult can actually respond as an adult and have a calm conversation demonstrating respect and listening to their parents, this is especially powerful um, and demonstrates that they are a young adult if they cannot do the knee-jerk reaction to act like a child when they're treated like a child. Whoops. Um, parents aren't the only ones who don't respond well. Sometimes it can be helpful for young adults to identify what do they do that annoys their parents. Having a conversation with their peers to acknowledge, yeah, you know, when I leave my belongings out when I come home, this is annoying to my parents. Or when I come home and immediately go hang out with friends, this is annoying. I could change that. I could take responsibility. Um, and in this segment, we also talk about taking incremental responsibility. If a parent blames you holistically for the fact that the house is a mess, what is it to say, you know, I did contribute to these pieces of the house being a mess, but not everything. In conflict, remembering the good, remembering what you do um, love and care about a parent for, and expressing that gratitude. So uh, young adults can be helped to consider what do they love and appreciate about their parents and being able to say that before entering into conflict. Even if it's not to say it out loud, know it and hold it in one's heart. Using I statements, this is how I feel in the midst of this conflict versus you did this. Um, steps, in Relationship IQ, we have a process called know, decide, say, collaborate, and evaluate as a framework for navigating conflict well. This is in our communication and conflict module extensively, but basically um, recognizing what the conflict is, naming it very clearly, deciding if it's worth bringing up, saying it at the right time, in the right way, at the right place, collaborating on a solution, and following up to evaluate how that solution is working. Whoops. Sorry, it's very easy to overclick here. Families of choice. So families of choice are families that are not a part of one's biological or family of origin experience. So as young adults leave home and are often separated geographically from their families, they can be helped to create surrogate families or families of choice that finding people that they look to to function as mom and dad, brother and sister, aunt and uncle. Um, this can really offer young adults a place of safety and belonging when they're geographically away from home or if they're in a family situation that really is not able to offer um, significant support 
and um, comfort. Families of choice uh, can be found in a variety of different places. Sensitizing young adults to where they can find these families of choice can be helpful in dorms, Greek life, in their academic major, living areas, hobbies, clubs, and also in the church. The church offers the best place to find intergenerational friendships and to really create a sense of surrogate family, a family away from home. Um, young adults can be helped to consider the need to initiate these relationships and not expect that people will come up to them to initiate um, these types of relationships. Young adults can ask for um, a structured meeting, say, hey, I'd love to meet with you once a month with an older person in the church. And that can be very helpful, again, versus expecting um, the people in the church to reach out to them, even as that's great when that happens, of course. And young adults uh, can be helped to consider how they can serve in the church and making a choice about where they go to church, not just based on what they can get out of it, but how they can serve the church as well. Whoops. Lots of ways to get involved in a church family, small groups, service, social activities. We're moving quickly here because of time. Uh, questions for reflection. This really helps, this question here really helps young adults tie their experience at home to their experience in young adulthood. Based on what it was like for them growing up, if they grew up in the church, did they develop patterns of rigidity around church attendance or patterns of hyper flexibility and not going to church very much? Based on their experience go, growing up at home in the church, how are they likely to engage in the church as a young adult? Okay, and we're going to move here. So again, this is the framework for helping young adults to adult in their family of origin, growing in their personal awareness by processing memories and recognizing the dynamics of birth order in their family of origin, appreciating their parents' perspective, positions them to be greater responsible in communicating with parents and finding a family of choice. And just for a visual, this is our Relationship IQ module on adulting with your family. It has lots more material than we covered today um, and other activities and discussion questions. And that will be available in the back. <laughs>